Welcome to Sanctuary, an ultra-secret hospital for superheroes who've been traumatized by crime fighting and cosmic combat. Built by Batman, using technology from Superman, with the compassion of Wonder Woman. Here, you will learn to face problems bigger than any monster, tougher than any villain, and more important than any crisis. Emergency. Emergency. Please proceed to the nearest exit. Emergency. Emergency. Please proceed to the nearest exit. Emergency. Emergency. Please proceed to the nearest exit. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host, Eric Zana, and today's episode is all about heroes in crisis. This is the big DC event, penned by Tom King with art by Clay Mann and Mitch Jarrods. And if you have been keeping up with the comics on the regular, and even if you haven't really, you've probably heard of Heroes in Crisis. There's been a ton of controversy around this, uh, from creative decisions, from certain characters that are involved, and we are going to be getting into all of that today. It's going to be a full retrospective on the entire event. Uh, we won't be going like beat by beat, but we're going to try to be as thorough as possible, talking about uh, certain characters, their whole position in the story, as well as maybe where those characters might go. Uh, on top of that, there's going to be a little bit of conversation about Tom King as a writer. He's been all over the news recently, so um, there's a lot to talk about. On top of that, we have our normal news segment, this week's Comics Countdown, and we are kicking off a brand new focus on our weekly review segment. All of that and more today. So for now, let's go ahead and start off with our new segment, and we've got a hacked segment here for you starting off with uh i think the thing that has been on a lot of people's minds avengers endgame uh it recently had its i want to say its fifth week uh fifth weekend at the box office somewhere around there and we are looking now at less than 70 million dollars to go until it passes avatar for the highest uh, grossing box office of all time. Like I said, folks, this is going to be a photo finish. Most uh, films, including big blockbusters, stick around for maybe seven to eight weeks. So we have uh, pretty much just two or three more weeks to get it up to where it, uh, I think, where it should be. Uh, it's going to be tough. The box office numbers have shown that it is steadily decreased every single weekend by about half. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough, especially with all the, uh, I would say, solid competition that's out right now. Uh, John Wick Chapter 3, Detective Pikachu, uh, Aladdin just dropped from Disney as well, and this past weekend was Godzilla King of the Monsters. So there's a lot going on in uh, 
movies in uh, the cinema. So I will keep my eye on this and I'll keep you guys updated as we go along. Also in movie news, though, we have some DC news. First of all, uh, Tom King who is going to be a big focus today, has joined Ava DuVernay on helming the New Gods film for DC. Uh, New Gods are basically, uh, we're talking Fourth World, we're talking Dark Side, we're talking Mr. Miracle, Big Barda, the Female Furies, New Genesis, the whole deal. Um, I think it's fantastic. I know that uh, Tom King has been in the headlines a lot recently, mostly in a negative capacity, but I'm really excited for him. You can tell he has a passion for the fourth world. Uh, just read Mr. Miracle and check out our episode on Mr. Miracle. It's pretty good. But I think that it's it's a good idea. I think it's having two people who I think really have something to prove on this project with Tom King and Ava DuVernay wanting to make this as good as possible. I'm going to be interested to see exactly how they go with it. Uh, we do know also that Marvel is producing an Eternals film that is i think starring angelina jolie at the time of this recording so uh eternals and new gods have a lot of similarities of course new gods came first but we are going to see exactly how that shapes up i'm really interested to see exactly what tom king brings to the table for this uh you would think with new gods and dc just being who dc is they're gonna want to go with like bombastic like huge battles lots of uh spectacle and tom king's not really about that if you read his mr miracle book you would know that some of the best i would say in fact the best moments in that story are the moments that are the quiet moments when they're sitting in their apartment when they're in la traffic like i don't know if they're going to be uh pulling anything from that i would assume so because it is tom king but we will just have to see i'm really excited they're going to start production on it i want to say uh later this year so I'm really excited. I'll keep you guys updated. Uh, this is a really exciting time for fans of the New Gods as a property. Also in DC movie news, uh, we have official confirmation that uh, Battinson is a thing. Robert Battinson. So uh, if for those of you who don't know, Robert Pattinson has been uh, in the news recently as a potential pick for Batman in Matt Reeves' Batman film. Uh, as of probably like a week ago... Uh, the two front runners were Robert Pattinson and Nicholas Holt. So um, I still had other candidates in mind that I think would have been better fits. But uh, if it had to be those two, I think they made the right choice. I like Nicholas Holt as an actor, but I would prefer him to be in a different kind of role. For this, I think with Robert Pattinson, who uh, we were just talking about Tom King and Ava DuVernay having uh, or needing something to prove. Like I think Robert Pattinson has a lot to prove, and he is hopefully going to come at this with the same kind of vigor and same kind of... Um, passion that he's been putting into his indie work in the last few years um i think it's an interesting choice again not my first pick but i think that in the last few years he's really done a lot to reestablish himself as a serious actor and i'm excited to see what he brings to it especially because this from reports is going to be more based around noir storytelling with a more detective side shown for batman so that's exciting for me i've always loved the world's greatest detective aspect of him as opposed to the cape crusader uh 
kind of role that he's always kind of settled in. So I'm excited. I'm really interested to see uh, what he does with the character. In other news, with Matt Reeves' Batman, uh, apparently Warner Brothers has approved, and this is all speculation right now, but Warner Brothers has approved the film to be the start of a brand new trilogy helmed by Matt Reeves with Robert Pattinson in the lead role as Bruce Wayne. And there is also a rumor that this trilogy may feature Robin. I'm really interested to see which Robin, uh, where they are in his timeline. I mean, Robert Pattinson's not an older guy, so you would assume it would be probably either Dick Grayson or if they wanted to go really dark, uh, Jason Todd. I think um, Robert Pattinson's too young at this point to be the grizzled old Batman with you know two or three Robins under his belt. But I'd be interested to see where they uh, where they go with him and what they use for Robin in that capacity. Um, we also have speculation right now that as of this recording, uh, the rumored kind of uh, rogues gallery for the first Batman includes the Penguin and Catwoman. I like the Penguin. I think that Penguin is a great shout, and if you get somebody really good, personally, James Spader would be incredible as the Penguin. Um, you could do a lot with him to kind of recoup some of the uh, more Danny DeVito uh, perspectives that people have on that Penguin character. I'm not sure how I feel about Selena Kyle being introduced this early. Um, the whole Bat-Cat relationship has been really uh, in the spotlight recently, and I think for better and for worse uh, a lot of people have really kind of soured on that relationship um, I'm not one of those people I love that relationship but I think that you will be walking a fine line if you are basically trying to do a quote unquote better version of Batman Returns which featured both of those characters but uh, we will just have to see um, in other film news, back on the Marvel side, Black Widow, the Black Widow solo film, has officially begun production. We still don't know what's happening in this film. Uh, a lot of speculation right now, rumor is that it will be taking place after Civil War, but before Infinity War. Uh, I gave my prediction that I think it's going to be in the five years between Infinity War and Endgame, so we will just have to see exactly what comes of that whenever there's like a trailer or if we do get a preview at uh, San Diego Comic-Con or wherever. Um, other movie news, we're going to talk about uh, rumors right now. Um, we mentioned Eternals earlier, which is the big uh, Marvel grand space opera property. Uh, Keanu Reeves is rumored to be uh, eyed for a part in that film. He's been seeing a lot of success with uh, John Wick Chapter 3, which I think... And correct me if I'm wrong, but um, has been doing the best out of the John Wick films, which I think is great. Uh, I recently watched John Wick Chapter 2 for the first time to catch up to it. Uh, still enjoyed it. Uh, I would say the first film's better personally, but John Wick Chapter 2 was still really good. And I am excited to see John Wick Chapter 3. On uh, other rumors, back over to DC, Suicide Squad. Uh, the Suicide Squad, which is essentially going to be like a soft reboot helmed by James Gunn. Uh, there have been rumors recently, there's been a lot of rumors since his casting uh, about Idris Elba's role in the film. Uh, a lot of people originally didn't know where he was going to land in the role. Uh, 
reports came out that he was going to be Deadshot. He was going to be replacing Will Smith as Deadshot. Then reports came out that he was going to be Deathstroke, and he was going to be replacing uh, Joe Manganiello as Deathstroke. Some people, you know, had all kinds of different uh, ideas for him. The idea that is currently going around, the rumor that's currently going around, is that he's going to be playing Bronze Tiger, and I think that is a great, great pick. Um, He absolutely would have killed as Deadshot, and he would have absolutely killed as uh, Deathstroke, but I think Bronze Tiger is a great character, and a very underrated character, who really deserves more time in the spotlight. Um, Recently, uh, Michael J. White has... I'm pretty sure that's his name, uh, has been portraying Bronze Tiger on Arrow, and he recently came back in the uh, finale for this most recent season, and he's always been really good with him. So I really enjoy that character, and I hope that uh, he does end up playing this character. Uh, In other DC news, Supergirl, the Supergirl film that DC has fast-tracked in order to spite Henry Cavill, uh, is set to begin production in early 2020. At least that's the rumor right now. We don't know exactly what... uh, their plan is for this whether it's going to be a franchise to replace superman whether they're going to have it just be a standalone thing we don't even have any casting yet but we will see exactly what happens with that uh in other news and comic news a joker harley book has been announced for dc's black label uh this book is entitled joker slash harley criminal sanity it's going to be written by cami garcia with art by mike mayhew and miko swayan i know i said that wrong and i am so sorry um uh i'll 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 tell you what the synopsis is and then i'll tell you what i think about the book In Gotham City, where heinous acts of violence are a daily occurrence, the GCPD relies on Harley Quinn, a young forensic psychiatrist and profiler, to consult on their toughest cases. But Harley is haunted by one case in particular, when she found herself at the center of a horrifying crime scene the night she discovered the body of her roommate, left with the signature of a notorious serial killer, the Joker. When a series of gruesome displays of murder appear throughout the city, the past and present collide as Harley's obsession with finding the depraved psychopath responsible leads her down a dangerous path. She must decide how far she is willing to go and what lines she is willing to cross to solve these cases once and for all. So, I have I have a couple thoughts on this. Um, first of all, it sounds interesting. It sounds really interesting. Um... It's kind of doing uh, Hannibal, where it's got like the uh, the really messed up uh, forensic scientist chasing after a serial killer. Um, the team is really interesting too, and I I just I'm not. I'm not interested in it. I'm sorry. I I really want to be. I'm fine with like they're trying to recontextualize the relationship. That's an interesting take that we haven't really seen before between Harley and Joker. But I just I don't need another Bat book in the DC uh, Black Label line. Um, it's fine. Like uh, Batman White Knight is incredible. Batman Damned is what it is but i just i don't 
I'm not interested in this book at all. This book doesn't interest me. Um, I'm sure there are going to be fans of it that are really into this idea and into getting another Harley and Joker origin, but I just, I don't, I'm not interested. Um, I, I honestly want to know where the, uh, the other history of the DC Universe book is. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this book was announced like last year, and it was going to be uh, written by John Ridley, who helped pen the award-winning 12 Years a Slave. Uh, with and it was going to have like a rotating group of artists, and it was basically going to take pl- it was going to be a uh, basically almost an anthology series looking at the history of the DC universe, its crises, the various super teams coming and going, uh, through the eyes of more like marginalized characters like Black Lightning, Katana. I think. Um, let me look up here. Uh, Renee Montoya was going to be in that too. We're going to have like ground level while all these gods are fighting above us. And I thought that was a really interesting story, but apparently it's like indefinitely on hold and we don't know what's going on with it. But we're getting another Joker Harley book. And I get it. Like, Joker and Harley, like that relationship, like, is interesting and it brings new fans in. But like, come on, there's so much more. There are so many other stories to tell with this, and I'm just, I I won't be picking it up. I'm not interested. Um, DC Black Label has been kind of hit, hit or miss. Um, I know how uh, White Knight was kind of retroactively put into the DC Black Label after it was already completed, and I love White Knight. Um, I'm really into Batman uh, Last Night on Earth, and I'm really excited for Superman Year One, but like... I think that they're leaning a little too hard into uh, Batman, which I get. That's their, you know, that's their cash cow. That's, you know, their license to print money. But I just, I really would prefer more interesting stories with characters that don't get as big of a spotlight as these two. So that's just my uh, my opinion on that. Uh, finally, in video game news, uh, the Avengers project simply titled now Marvel's The Avengers, uh, has been on a lot of people's minds lately. Uh, Square Enix announced the game, like, I think two years ago, and they just gave us, like, this basic uh, teaser trailer showing some of the iconography, Thor's hammer, Cap's shield, and uh, nothing else. We haven't heard anything. Square Enix has been completely silent, but um, they officially announced that on June 10th that their... uh, at their showcase at E3, they will be showing off the game and showing it properly. And I'm really excited. I was already excited for Marvel games this year with uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order coming out on the Switch. But this sounds really, really cool. Um, it's being done by Square Enix, so or Square Enix, however you want to say it. Uh, they're the studio behind the Kingdom Hearts series, Final Fantasy, and the like. Um, world ends with you i am really excited about this uh it has to be an rpg uh we've been getting a lot of like leaks and rumors that it might be uh in kind of enacting what they're coining as continuous single player and i'm not sure what that means um i'm wondering if it's going to be like kind of a destiny slash uh anthem kind of uh gameplay where it's like an almost like an mmo but you're consistently going on missions uh building up your arsenal and stuff like that but we'll see i 
could not be more excited. I've been wanting an Avengers game for God knows how long. Um, I was just talking to uh, my buddy Jesse the other night about um, the old school Captain America Super Soldier video game that was on the Xbox 360 and PS3. I'm still waiting. If anyone, if I know Microsoft and Sony are listening right now, make that game backwards compatible and allow me to finally play that game once again. I loved that game. It was not a perfect game. It was not even a great game, but I loved it. It was a Captain America game, and I need another Captain America game in my life. So if this gets me closer to that, I will absolutely play it. Um, I'll keep you guys updated on that. I'm really excited. Uh, E3 is like, I think, two weeks away. So it's going to be it's gonna be fun. Or just, now that I'm looking at it, it's like next weekend? This weekend? Is it this weekend? It was June 10th. So it's... Okay, so it's... I think June 10th. Let me double check. I'm going to double check my notes here. Um, and I'm going to vamp while I'm doing it. So uh, here I am vamping while I look up info on Square Enix and their Avengers game. Um, okay, so yeah, June 10th. So one week. It's going to be next week. It's going to be next Monday, um, as of this recording, of course. So I'm really excited. It's really, really good. And um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll stay tuned, and I'll give you more info on that next for uh, next week's episode. And then finally, in podcast news, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, we posted up on our Instagram about it, but I got to be a part of the Saturday Night Geek podcast. Uh, stream on twitch uh they are part of the geek say what network and it was a blast getting to be a guest on their show they do a show every saturday night a stream on twitch where they talk about the latest geek news and all kinds of stuff i had a great time i was invited by cole and i had just a blast talking with him and jesse on all kinds of uh, geek news stuff. So if you would like to check out that uh, that episode, I believe it's on Twitch. Uh, you can check that out. Just look up Saturday Night Geek and check out their most recent stream. That'll be us. So I had a great time. I want to say thank you to Cole and the whole team behind Saturday Night Geek and the Geek Say What Network. I had a blast and I hope I get an opportunity to go back and uh, geek out with them again. It was a fun little... Uh, fun little crossover geeky crossover if you will i got to talk about doomsday clock my all-time my favorite uh comic on the stands right now so that is going to do it for this week's uh new segment and we are going to roll right in to the main course the entree if you will of this episode which is the full uh retrospective on heroes in crisis So, Heroes in Crisis. lot to unpack. Um, I'm going to say right off the bat, huge spoiler warning. If you haven't read this comic yet, if you're interested in this comic, you've heard the uh, concept behind it, and you would like to actually go through and read all nine issues, uh, 
pause this right here, read those issues, come back, and then we'll have that full discussion. Because um, there's a lot, and I'm going to be touching upon as much as I can. I've got my notes here, I've got the whole thing, so um, we'll go ahead and jump right into it. A couple things that I want to get out of the way, uh, just right up front, uh, a little bit of background on Sanctuary. The whole concept behind the story, as Tom King tells it, um, in various interviews, including the event that they put on in, at SDCC last year, um, a sanctuary was a safe space built by Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman to be in the heart of Kansas as this anonymous kind of uh, halfway house where superheroes and select supervillains can go to to really just get the help that they need uh, to get the full kind of treatment for any kind of trauma that they've suffered during their adventures, whether that be uh, fighting villains, uh, the emotional toll of keeping a secret identity, or in some cases, the emotional toll of dying and coming back. Um, I think it's really interesting having that as like an option, and they've been seeding it throughout Rebirth before the uh, whole event was even announced, you would hear things about sanctuary, sanctuary, sanctuary. They're going to sanctuary. We're going to take him or her to sanctuary, and we really didn't get an idea of what that was until the announcement of this book. And from what I understand, the original concept behind the story was to take a deeper and more introspective look at the toll that all of the superheroics and as they say, cosmic combat puts on the various heroes in the DC universe. And I love the idea behind that. Really diving into mental health, really dealing with their issues. And so, according to the, uh, the story, the house was built as this, you know, sanctuary that was completely run by automation, completely run by an AI, uh, using Kryptonian technology from... The Fortress of Solitude, uh, built by Batman, and uh, the tagline is built by Batman with technology from Superman with the compassion of Wonder Woman. And their vision is littered throughout. Uh, we see the two main, uh, seems to be like operators of Sanctuary are these AI robotic duplicates of Mon Pa Kent. So, it's set up very much like a Kent farm in the middle of Kansas, uh, big old old school looking farmhouse, and um, you would get your mask, you'd get your robe, and you would attend therapy and stay as long as you need to get the help that is necessary to put you back into the field. And the whole idea behind it being, you know, almost open to the public, we've seen Heroes go there, villains go there. Um, from my understanding, uh, I believe Gotham Girl was brought there briefly after the events, after the original events of uh, the beginning of Tom King's run. Um, we saw that after the events of Everyone Loves Ivy, Poison Ivy was brought there. Uh, Roy Harper checked himself in uh, post the uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws stint. And then uh, most recently and most notably, uh, Wally West after Flash War 
was basically saying like i'm really messed up i still remember the previous continuity where my family was i don't know where they are i don't know how to handle this and so superman wonder woman and batman show up and they are like we're going to take him to sanctuary we're going to take care of him and iris specifically tells barry this has to work if anything happens to him essentially it's on you so that sends up a lot of uh a, a lot of pressure for this story to kind of pay all of that off um and it also puts a big spotlight on this book just in general because not a whole lot of comics deal with mental health especially in the big two especially in dc and marvel not a whole lot of books specifically center around the idea of mental health as it pertains to the superheroes and supervillains that uh we know and love today and so i think there was a lot of potential there's not a, a lot of narrative potential in this story just alone based on the concept you were going to see characters like roy like wally like poison ivy dealing with the events of their past and really seeing them get the help that they need and unfortunately that's not quite what happened um we can't really jump into the story before we talk about its uh, its author, which is Tom King. Tom King, of course, has been the center of many, many different controversies throughout the past year and a half, um, really stemming, I think, the beginning of all the Tom King controversy was... Uh, and I don't think this is any surprise, uh, Batman number 50, the wedding issue, the Bat-Cat wedding. They had been teasing this and teasing this and teasing this. The marketing was all over the place, which I think is really the culprit here because the way that this was marketed, it was supposed to be a change in the status quo. This book, Batman number 50, was going to be changing the relationship between Batman and Selina Kyle and that it would be changing everyone who's affected by uh, Batman and his crusade on crime. They were really just ramping this up. They were having commercials. They were uh, making at least half a dozen variants. Uh, I myself picked up two variants with both the uh, Selena Kyle wedding dress cover and the Bruce Wayne and his uh, tux cover. But this story really uh, rubbed a lot of people the long way, and I think a lot of people fell out of love with Tom King because of the story. Because if you remember, when he first got signed on to Batman, everyone was buzzing. Because this is the guy who did Omega Men. This is the guy who just came off of Vision. He was at an all-time high, and he was smack dab in the middle of Sheriff of Babylon. And so this was a lot of pressure, and I remember when Rebirth started, and I was very cautious because I loved Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's run on Batman. I absolutely loved it through the New 52. It was the only book throughout the New 52 that retained its creative team from start to finish. And I was cautiously optimistic going into this because at the time, I hadn't read Vision, I had heard good things, I uh, hadn't read Omega Men yet, but I had been telling myself that I need to jump into it because it was a Kyle Rayner story. And so I was very nervous about this. I really wanted this to go well, I really wanted this to be a good book, but I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. Especially because I think with the uh, with the artist that he had on the time, which was David Finch, uh, for me, he's very hit or miss. And I don't think that's necessarily his fault, but he has been kind of, unfortunately, the artist at times for specific comics that have really not been 
totally well received. Um, he was one of the notable artists during the downfall of the Ultimate Universe, and I think that really, uh, at least for me, in my personal opinion, set, kind of soured me on uh, projects that he was on. But the second that I popped open issue one of Batman in Rebirth, I fell in love, because that issue features Batman uh, put in a position he's never been in before, which is the Superman plane catch. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, the iconic, uh, I think one of the most iconic images of Superman is him catching the plane. Uh, it was pretty much the only good thing out of Superman Returns. It's been done and redone in every single kind of Superman uh, medium, and the plane catch is something that is almost synonymous with the Superman character. And in the first issue, Tom King puts Batman in that same situation. A plane is falling towards Gotham and says, fix it. And so we get to see Batman in his moments of being in uh, mortal danger, really having to face down a situation that Superman handles every single day. And there was a lot of um, introspective dialogue, a lot of him, you know, basically talking to himself and thinking, you know, this might be it. And for me, as someone who... Um, I think at that time I had really gotten used to Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's version of Batman, who wasn't very introspective. If there was any kind of uh, caption boxes or thought boxes, it was about the narrative, it was about the uh, exposition, it was anything like that, but it wasn't uh, as introspective as Tom King's uh, Batman was. And so I was taken aback, I was surprised. And so from there, as these stories started to get bigger and badder and like bold I really fell in love with Tom King's writing. I went and read Vision, incredible. I went and read Omega Men, also incredible. And I'm actually uh, going to be picking up Sheriff of Babylon for an episode that is upcoming down the line. Um, little teaser there. But I really just, every single week, every single issue that came out of Batman, I was just more and more invested and when the bat cat wedding came up there was of course the skeptic part of me that was like they're never gonna let that happen dc resists change so much they would never let this happen but as the story progressed as we got into you know two of my favorite issues in the entire uh really the entire run of tom king's was um I don't know if it's called World's Finest, but it was basically the Batman-Superman issues where they went on a double date. You saw, you got to see their relationship just as friends and how Lois and uh, Selina kind of uh, view it from an outside perspective. And I thought it was fascinating. And then you just kept getting more and more invested in it. They went to Talia to basically let her know what was happening in person to, I don't know, get her blessing maybe i don't know but i was really uh really looking forward to this wedding issue and by the time that the issue came out i was all in and in my mind uh this was going to happen they were going to let this happen this was going to be a new status quo for batman and we were going to get to see some incredible stories and then batman number 50 happened and um to say that there was a lot of disappointment i think is an incredible understatement and i think having that be what it was really soured a lot of people um and again i think that comes down less to uh tom king and more to the marketing by dc because they 
basically promised that this wedding was going to happen. They did everything in their power beyond saying, here is the actual panel where she says I do, and they kiss, and they become Mr. and Mrs. Bruce Wayne. Um, they made everyone believe that this was going to happen and what no one was told what tom king i'm assuming wasn't allowed to tell anyone was that this was the closing of act one this was the end of part one of the batman uh series by tom king and that this was only the halfway point for a hundred issue uh, arc a hundred issue series for Batman written by Tom King and that I think I think if they had made it a point to let people know that that was the case before this issue happened I don't think a lot of people would have been as down on it as they were and I myself as someone who was very disappointed by uh, the issue by uh issue number 50 of batman i will say it was my fault for getting so invested knowing still knowing in the back of my mind that a voice was telling me that they weren't going to let it happen and i should have known i honestly i should have known that it wasn't going to happen and i let myself become invested in the story so that's on me however after issue 50 um it feels like the story kind of went off the rails um, and maybe this was intentional, maybe this is exactly how Tom King envisioned the series going, but I felt like for a while after the issue, the, uh, the backlash and the criticism really rocked the book itself, because it kind of was ebbing and flowing in a weird direction it seemed off rhythm off balance and i felt like tom king was trying to play catch up to get everyone back on his team like they were at the start of his rebirth run and that's not to say that the stories that happened after the uh batcat wedding or lack thereof uh were bad because they weren't they were different they were very different to what a lot of people were expecting them to be um I loved getting the, uh, I think it was the two-issue arc with Lee Weeks immediately following, where Batman is, or Bruce Wayne is basically called into jury duty to, uh, during the trial of Mr. Freeze, and Dick is having to run around as Batman for a short time. I still think that would be a wonderful, uh, for me, that would be a wonderful either annual or a little six-issue mini of the 48 hours or uh, however long that Bruce was in the, uh, in the juror's room to just show what Dick was going through during that time. I would love that. I, I mean, I'd love to write that, but I think that's just a great untapped story that Tom King left open to interpretation. And I love the idea of putting Batman in 12 Angry Men. I just love that idea. Uh, we also got stories where um, we got to see him really dealing with the aftermath of this. But uh, this whole arc felt more... Um, I don't want to say... I don't want to say meandering, but it felt like this was all now the uh, the direction had shifted. Whereas in the first half, it was very much, you know, escalation, 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 escalation. For this, it became much more about, um, I would say, isolated personal stories. And I 
uh, I think that as they went on, people be started to become less invested because they didn't feel like there was a uh, rhythm or a direction. We saw at the end of the 50th issue that Bane had essentially engineered the events to take place to break Batman emotionally. And now we were waiting for the other shoe to drop for him to find out what Bane was doing and to head into a final confrontation. And so after... You know, what seems like, you know, a almost rudderless 20 issues, we're finally getting to the fall and the fallen, and we are getting to see the culmination of that, all of his machinations, the way that he's uh, completely broken Batman, and now we're going to get to see him try and fight his way out during the City of Bane arc that is starting in a couple of, uh, in a few weeks as well. But, and I know we went way off on, uh, on a Tom King Batman uh, tangent, and I apologize for that. I just, I get really, really, uh, really invested, as you can tell. Um, but then came Heroes in Crisis, and the announcement of this book, a lot of people were excited about. A lot of people were really, uh, at least from what I heard, they were like, this is going to put Tom King back on top. This is his wheelhouse dealing with mental health, dealing with superheroes, dealing, getting the entire toy box to play with, um, and this is really going to help him bounce back in the eyes of the fans. And um, unfortunately, that isn't exactly what happened, because right at the offset, they started marketing this as a crisis. This wasn't uh, Sanctuary anymore, this was Heroes in Crisis. And during, I want to say it was during um, one of the Comic-Cons, it might have been New York Comic-Con, Dan Didio made a comment saying that you can't have a crisis without a dead flash. And everyone groaned. There was no laughter, there was no applause. Um, because we know, we know that Dan Didio has had it out for legacy characters for a very long time. And... This I mean, this goes all the way back to Infinite Crisis where he was trying to kill off Nightwing. But I really, um, a lot of people saw the marketing start to come out showing certain characters and saying, one of these characters will die. And lo and behold, they're all legacy characters with the exception of Harley Quinn and Cyborg. Um, all of these characters that they showed off, Tim Drake, Wally West... Roy Harper, Kyle Rayner, all of these characters were legacy characters that people have a deep seat love of. Roy Harper, Kyle Rayner, Tim Drake, Wally West, like those are the heroes that I grew up with. Those are the heroes that I look to as the examples of characters who grow and evolve over time. But I was really cautious thinking about this going into this first issue, and I remember opening up the issue really uh really nervously and when i got to the issue where it showed roy and wally dead in the living room i shut the book because i just i didn't want it to be what it was and i um i was really uh emotionally uh taken aback and really hurt by it which is what stories should be doing Sh stories should be emotionally affecting you and uh, you look at things like Identity Crisis, which I think this is almost a spiritual successor to. And that story, for all of its faults, was very emotionally affecting. And there are certain moments in that that I will always remember from that book. And 
I imagine that this is going to be that book for some people as well. Some newer readers, um, some people who are very emotionally invested in certain characters that were uh, involved in this book, that is going to be what it is. But it feels like every single issue that came out, the mystery deepened, and it we weren't getting answers, we were just getting more background, and a lot of people were starting to get uh, frustrated with it, myself included. I loved the stories that were included, I loved the look at certain marginalized characters that we never really get to hear from. Most of, I think it was issue four, most of that issue was devoted to Gnark. Like, who... I mean, he showed up in Titan's Hunt right before Rebirth, and um, it was fine, but I... I just, you never hear about Gnark. So getting an issue kind of talking about him and his, uh, his viewpoint I thought was really interesting. And getting all of these perspectives from heroes who we don't really hear a whole lot from was great. Um, but then the problems started to come. Uh, certain inconsistencies with the writing, certain inconsistencies with the art. Uh, certain heroes were being shown killed one way when they were really killed another way. Um, certain heroes being killed in a certain place and placed somewhere else uh in a follow-up issue i think the the book itself had a direction but it got muddled a lot and i think that had a lot to do with uh the controversies surrounding it killing off certain characters the way that these characters were killed off the fact that the uh book went from seven issues to nine issues to stretch it out we still don't know why we still don't know why they did that if not i mean I would assume it's to give a bit more depth and give a bit more um, background on why things happened how they did, uh, but I still I don't know exactly why the book was uh, stretched out, and I would love to ask Tom King about that process and how that affected the book as a whole, because when you are given a certain amount of uh, chapters to tell a story, whether it's in tv on uh in a book or in comics you know if you are suddenly your stuff is either cut short or elongated you now have to fill time or come up with a completely new ending to justify the amount of chapters that you now have to work with so i think that got a lot of cut a lot of people the wrong way the characterization of certain characters i think was off um with certain characters and a lot of people had a lot of feelings about how certain characters were portrayed um i loved the introspective look at certain characters i loved the little bits the, the little bits that we got from uh harley quinn that we got from poison ivy that we got from wally this book is very focused on wally west and the reason being because it ended up being that he was the killer uh, I'm not going to say he was the murderer because it was an accident. The entire uh, thing that ended up happening was an accident. And that was revealed in, I believe, issue 8, I want to say. Um, but I am fascinated by people's problems with this story. Um, I think a lot of it does have to do with certain aspects I think certain characters are written in a way that I've never seen them written before. Um, certain characters who should be uh, affected by things are affected by different things. I think that especially some of the more minor characters that we don't get a whole lot of, um, I would say, elaboration on with their uh, 
with their mindset i think is strange um i really would be interested to see exactly what the thought process was in having the speed force act the way it did i don't know if there's a reason behind that and if there is that's going to be you know revealed later on uh that will make this make sense that's fine but i've never seen the speed force used in a way to, that maliciously hurts people because as we find out wally um after you know being so emotionally and mentally affected by this reboot and losing his kids losing his wife um basically comes to sanctuary seeking help and is just more and more uh made to feel alone by his problems and so what he does is he goes in and he basically at super speed because he is the fastest man alive you can say what you want about barry allen wally west is the fastest man alive goes out and uh repieces together all of the confessionals from all of the other heroes that are at sanctuary and he feels so alone because no one understands what he's going through no one understands what he lost so he puts all of these confessionals together just to watch just to feel like he isn't alone and seeing that all these other heroes have these problems all these other characters have these problems breaks him because it's that feeling of um and this is going to get really i don't know if the word is philosophical or deep or too much information or whatever but when you are depressed when you are feeling alone and you get that feeling that other people are going through what you're going through um it's not just cathartic because it absolutely is knowing that you're not alone but in that same moment you're also horrified because all of your fears about yourself are um validated because other people are thinking that way about themselves and so wally is broken by this he has a momentary lapse where he is just overcome with emotion and um his control of the speed force basically uh slips away from him and the speed force lashes out and kills everyone it's not something that wally does on purpose and that's why we don't call him a murderer it was an accident but again when it comes down to the nature of the speed force i've never seen it portrayed that way as like some kind of hurricane that you have to hold back um the speed force has always been kind of like an energy it's always been something that like the green um this idea that uh it is an elemental force that has never been really given i don't think any kind of characterization other than that it's pretty much seeded through everything and that only certain characters which are speedsters can tap into it to gain some of its power um, i've never seen it as something that can violently injure someone much less kill them so that was something new to me uh if they're tr if tom king is trying to build off of this if tom king is trying to build a new mythology for the flash i'm there for it but this is something that i think really came out of the blue and didn't really um i think it wasn't properly portrayed or given enough explanation as to why that happened and this also touches back on what i was saying about the inconsistencies in the writing and uh, some of the storytelling because in an issue that focuses on lagoon boy he is killed seemingly from it looks like some kind of spear or some kind of bullet that kills him but in the 
issue, issue 8, where it shows everything that happened, we see that he was killed by Wally's lightning just like everyone else. We also see in the first issue there's a body laying amongst all the other bodies that has a Green Lantern symbol on it. Uh, we never get a follow-up on this. We don't know who the Green Lantern was. Um, I'm really hoping it's not any of the Green Lanterns that we know. Uh, I think the most, of course, the easiest uh, person to put in that position would have been Kyle with all the stuff that he went through with Omega Men, whether that's uh, canon or not. Uh, but I'm really hoping that that's not the case, and it's never followed up on. And certain characters who are portrayed in a certain way, having forgotten the things or the lessons that they had been uh put through whether that's in previous continuity new 52 or in rebirth continuity which is kind of a mesh of everything um i think those characterizations really affected uh the overall narrative of the story so let's jump into uh those characters um starting off with uh I would say pretty much the two leads of this, uh, aside from Wally, which were Booster Gold and Harley Quinn. Uh, the issue, the first issue opens up with them, with them trying to kill each other in a diner. Uh, Booster Gold has been deeply affected after the events of um, uh, basically his, I think it was called The Gift, or whatever the, uh, the story was. But going into the... Uh, Batcat wedding, Booster Gold wanted to give Batman a wedding present and basically decided to take an inspiration from the story of uh, For the Man Who Has Everything, where Superman is given a vision on what his life could have been if Krypton never exploded. And so Booster saved Bruce's parents, and that unfortunately had a flashpoint-like effect where everything just went wrong. Everything was bad. Um, there was no Batman. Bruce grew up to be some snotty, entitled uh, billionaire prince. Uh, the first issue of that story opens up with Green Lantern being driven insane by uh, the Joker and how Jordan kills himself right in front of Booster. So, like, this story really deeply affected Booster because he was stuck in this timeline for, what, like a year? Two years? And he was essentially driven insane by it. And, of course, they were able to finally get everything back to where it was, but that deeply affected him, and he went to Sanctuary because of it. Harley Quinn, of course, is mad as a hatter. She is um, just a complete nut, and so you find out later on, the, the assumption is that she went to Sanctuary. But, of course, later on you find out that she was there visiting Poison Ivy, who, after the traumatic events of Everyone Loves Ivy was brought to Sanctuary to help heal her mind, heal her fractured mind. And Harley was there visiting her when all of this happened. Um, this book puts a big focus on them, their relationships. Harley finally gets to wear the classic Harley Quinn uh, costume, which I think is great, with the exception of like the, uh, the jester hat. But her in the classic costume is a welcome change, and I hope that sticks around. Um, but they really are pretty much the stars of this series we see both of them trying to figure out the culprit uh, 
they basically are trying to solve the mystery while on the run as the prime suspects. So you see Harley go to Batgirl, and the two of them are trying to figure things out. Uh, Booster is finally reunited with Ted, and the two of them are trying to figure things out. Seeing Blue and Gold back together was huge for me, because I love that team. And really getting to see this event through their eyes, I think, was a good shout. Because as we see in the publication history, uh, this book took nine months to come out. So during those nine months, the heroes, the, the Trinity, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, their stories are still ongoing as this is going on, while everyone who else who is involved in this book is just focused on this book, which I think really sells the idea of we don't know how long this was going on uh we do i guess we do know how long this was going on so it was five days essentially and um during those five days all this other stuff was happening you had the price crossover between batman and uh the flash you had the funeral for roy harper with uh in one of the issues of Green Arrow. We have all this stuff that is clearly affecting these books, but of course the Trinity has other problems to worry about. The Justice League has other problems to worry about, not Booster and Harley, which I think really speaks to the divide in the have and haves and have-nots between the big, uh, huge superheroes and the ones who are more ground level, who are viewing and witnessing this as it happens. Um, that's just kind of an aside that I think is uh, really good. And we didn't get a whole lot about the Trinity in this. In the first, you know, two or three issues, it did focus on them and their, uh, them being affected by this. Lois is given all of the confessional tapes uh, anonymously, though we now know it's by Wally. Um, and that's pretty much the last we hear of them, because after that happens, after they're leaked out to the public... Um, they kind of fade into the background and it becomes pretty much the booster harley and wally show which i'm not complaining about because i love those characters but like this was kind of marketed as the trinity dealing with the ramifications of this along with booster and harley so i think again when it comes to the marketing dc is misfiring all over the place uh, one thing that they did market really well, which I think were used well in this book, was the confessionals. Getting to see characters like Lagoon Boy, like Gnark, like Wally especially, like Roy, uh, getting to talk to them and really see how their past adventures affected them. Um, Lagoon Boy, who a lot of people I think will be familiar with from uh, the Young Justice cartoon has had a lot happen to him. He died and he came back in a reboot and so he remembers dying and so that really affects you on how you view the world because you've seen the world with you and you've also seen the world without and I think that was again a great viewpoint and I wish that the story had focused more on their trauma and less on murder. Um, the confessionals really also got you invested in these characters that a lot of people I'm sure weren't invested in whatsoever. I can't tell you who knows who um, Hotspot is, much less you know what he was up to before this book. Um, same thing with Gnark. Uh, I really think that this book showed a lot of great character beats and characters that not a lot of people know. Blue Jay, you know, was one of the characters who I think uh, 
it was fascinating and i wasn't even very familiar with him but reading his stuff i thought was incredibly sad but at the same time what these confessionals did was get you invested in these characters before the end of the issue reminds you oh yeah hey they died so there's no point in getting invested in them because they're gone and i think that's um that's unfortunate because i think the original aim for this book was to uh get these characters uh get more eyes on these characters to look at them in a new light if not for this uh for the tragedies they've gone through but for how they persevered through them um and that brings us to the deaths so so many people died i'm gonna rattle off a full list here you um this is probably a partial list because i mean new characters popped up throughout the entire uh series so um the ones that i found were tattooed man uh nemesis we had solstice poison ivy Protector, Red Devil, Gnark, Gunfire, Commander Steel. We had uh, Blue Jay, Hotspot, Lagoon Boy, Arsenal, and apparently Wally West. But of course, later on, we are we know that he didn't in fact die. So that's just a beginning list. Um, I'm sure others died. There were like some unconfirmed bodies littered around. Uh, sanctuary but just in general like that's a lot when it comes to uh and i think the word minor is uh subjective but minor characters getting killed off really be just because dc really didn't have anything to do with them um dc really didn't have anybody to really have any stories with these characters i think protector was one of the more um obscure characters he wasn't even really like a dc comics character he showed up in a bunch of uh anti-drug psas uh that featured in dc comics but he was never like an actual character so having a protector be there i thought was uh was kind of funny but getting all of these characters dead putting them out of the way uh was sad it was incredibly sad um especially for i think some of the the big ones uh, we're talking Poison Ivy, we're talking Roy Harper, and initially we're talking Wally West. Um, those characters had a lot of legs, and I really think that the only one that ended up actually staying dead was Roy, which is terrible because he has so much, uh, so much to do, so much left, so many stories that he still had to tell. And I'll talk a little bit about. Uh, the rumors about him in an upcoming DC event uh, a little bit later. But I think uh, when the truth comes out that Wally was the one who uh, did this, whether it was an accident or not, and it's not really uh, framed as an accident at first, so the whole idea that it was suddenly an accident um, I think came out of nowhere. Uh, and I, I believe some people were really thrown off and kind of had gotten into the idea that Wally had just kind of gone crazy missing his kids and started killing people to try and, you know, reset the timeline again somehow, I think would have been uh, dark and incredibly against his character. But I think it would have been interesting. For this, it feels like uh, the... I don't want to say the uh, urgency. I think the... Um, the 
momentum was taken away from him, and it almost feels like this is something that happened to him rather than him being an active participant in it. Um, so, of course, it's revealed that he is the one that killed everyone, uh, and then traveled five days in the future, killed his future self, brought him back and placed his body there so that he could uh, have those five days to get the confessionals out. But of course, during that, he frames Harley and Booster, so the Trinity's running around after them instead of searching for him. It's a whole thing, and I, um, I don't like the idea of him uh, framing Harley and Booster. I think that's a poor decision. I don't like it. Uh, it doesn't make any sense for his character. I get that he had a moment where he lost control and everyone died, but the Wally West that I know would have said, I have to own up to this. Um, I just, ah, I don't know, I don't know, because it also, you have to factor in the uh, conclusion, which is he does go five days in the future, finds uh, himself, and at this point in those five days, he's planted a new poison ivy, and she has grown out, she is alive again, and uh, I would say, I don't know if this is the same poison ivy, because uh, this almost seems like a reset back to pre-New 52 Poison Ivy, where she was all green. This is very much an Arkham-looking Poison Ivy from the Arkham games. Um, and she feels different. She, uh, she definitely seems different and changed, though, of course, dying and coming back will do that to you. But um, anyway, past Wally comes there to kill future Wally. And then during all of this, while this is happening, uh, the Har Team Harley and Team Booster are piecing everything together and they uh, figure everything out. So they go back to the place where Wally has planted Poison Ivy, which is, of course, right outside of Sanctuary. And they stop past Wally from killing Future Wally. Uh, Future Wally basically tells him... Um, I know what's about to happen. I know what's going on. Um, it's not going to make any sense. And then you find out that uh, the Wally that was brought back and was put in the uh, in the dead uh, position was not even future Wally. This was a clone that uh, was created using technology from the 31st century. Uh, Booster and uh, Ted went up to the future, cloned wally brought him back gave past wally the clone body to place and then future wally would or present wally i guess would be uh there to face the consequences and i think that as tie-ups go it's super sloppy but i uh, i'll give it a pass because there's a moment um i like reading uh comics with music so the song that i was listening to really I think for me, and this is a personal thing, uh, really kind of sold the ending montage of them kind of solving it. Uh, seeing Booster, seeing Blue and Gold together again, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, uh, warmed my heart and made all of the uh, pain that I suffered a little bit more manageable. So um, everything kind of wrapped up. Wally went past Wally went back to begin this story. Uh, President Wally, you know, turned himself in and was imprisoned for manslaughter because, of course, it was an accident, but because he framed Booster and Harley and because he went on the run from it, he has to, you know, he has to face punishment. And so it ends with um, 
I think not as strong a note as it could, but I think it wraps up in a way that makes it interesting going forward. Uh, speaking of going forward, I think uh, I have a section here now. Our, our next to final section is going to be uh, talking about the future of some of these characters. Uh, first of all, Sanctuary as an establishment. This, uh, this story really posited the idea of whether Sanctuary was actually helping these people or not. Obviously, it didn't help Wally. But um, by the end of the story, it doesn't really deal with that, which I think is a missed opportunity. Uh, this idea that these confessionals didn't really help them, uh, definitely didn't help Wally, didn't seem to really help anybody. They were still suffering all the way up until the point that they died. And it just seems like it's back open again. Um, by the end of the book because we see more heroes the uh, issue 9 is almost completely comprised of uh, new confessionals from I'm assuming new uh, heroes and villains coming into Sanctuary after this event um, I had a problem with this at first I really did because I was like okay so we're going to get the opportunity to get more of this um, we're going to get the opportunity for more people to uh, possibly you know, go nuts and kill other people but then I started to think about it, and I kind of liked the uh, the message that they were sending here because with uh, Wally leaking out the confessional as well as confessing to his crimes, it was kind of a beacon for not just ordinary people but others in the superhero community to know that, hey, even if you haven't heard about this before or if you have and you don't know what it's all about, like, I'm suffering other people are suffering you are not alone and that's the big takeaway from this story the the image that i will take away from this entire book from all nine issues this entire book was um present wally holding past wally who had just you know killed everyone accidentally and telling him that he wasn't alone and um i'm not gonna get emotional I'm not going to get emotional. Um, but this idea that as as someone who's suffered through depression, uh, we talked about a little bit about this a little bit during uh, the Endgame review. Um, the sentiment of telling someone that they are not alone is so powerful and really, um, really feeds into this idea, and I've heard this before and I'm sure you have as well, uh, this idea of if you could tell yourself, if you could tell, you know, 10-year-old you something that would make things better or something that you, if you could tell them what you know now, what would you tell them? And this scenario directly uh, takes that idea and puts it into the narrative where Wally is telling his past self, look, I know you just went through this traumatic experience. All this stuff is happening, but you are not alone. You are not alone. And I think the idea that Wally's confession being this beacon of hope, this beacon of rebirth, um, telling everyone, hey, I'm suffering too. You're not alone. Um, shows that in all of the new confessionals that pop up in uh, issue number nine where all these characters now are coming to sanctuary because they need help because they're hurting and they know that it's okay to be messed up 
it's okay to have these feelings and it's okay to be hurt because you're not alone in that feeling so i liked that i like that sanctuary is uh continuing on though they definitely need to uh tweak and refine their practices because they at least from what i could tell they didn't really do a good job with setting up treatment for these people uh next up harley and ivy uh they really hammered home and confirmed you know a relationship that has kind of been just understood but not outwardly spoken about which is the love between the two of them more than friends they are lovers they are uh the closest thing to i think the uh premier dc lesbian couple giving a uh uh batwoman and renee montoya run for their money so i think it's um it's interesting and i'm interested to see where they go especially now that ivy has a new status quo going forward um so we'll just have to see. We do know that Harley Quinn is a big focus for DC, whether that's in comics, whether that's in film, whatever. They have a lot of plans for her, for better or for worse. We're going to see a lot of Harley Quinn in the months and the years to come. Next up, Blue and Gold. Uh, Booster and Ted, Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. Um, I loved seeing them together again. And I think even though they haven't done a great job at really explaining uh, Ted Kord's place in uh, DC Rebirth, besides his, uh, his small supporting role in the Blue Beetle book before it was canceled, um, I love seeing them together again. They work so well together. I want another blue and gold book. Um, if I, th I think that if... Uh, if Tom King, you know, one, once he leaves the uh, main Batman book, and we do know that he's been approved for a couple different uh, DC projects, including the Batcat book, um, I think a Booster and Ted miniseries or maxi series is long overdue, having them running through time, solving problems, and just generally them being together again. Uh, the Bros Before Heroes thing I thought was great even though it didn't make a whole lot of sense in the context of the story. Um, I loved it. I thought it was a great callback just to their relationship and how close they were prior to Infinite Crisis. And you can tell ever since Infinite Crisis how much of a Ted Cord-shaped hole has been in Booster Gold's heart since he died. So having them together again really, I thought, Brett really uh breathe new life into the booster gold character especially after he went through all this traumatic stuff so i like that i'm really really excited to see where they go next with them and then finally uh wally west wally west wally west wally west wally west i think um came out of this the most damaged of course being the uh, unwilling killer of this story i think there's a lot that you can do tom king has said that uh, his main goal with Wally's role in this book is to get people talking about Wally again, that he is a pillar in this in the DC universe and he deserves to be front and center um, and that he really wanted to get people talking about where Wally goes next. And I think that in that respect, this story accomplished that. Everyone is buzzing about Wally West, whether it's positive or negative. He is the Flash that everyone is interested in again. And I think that's great. I think he's the best Flash out of every Flash. Uh, I've spoken before about how my favorite is Jay Garrick, but Wally West is, I think, objectively the best Flash. 
and I have been waiting for him to have an importance um, ever since DC Rebirth. The Titans book was fine, it was great, um, but it kind of started to go off the rails. It wasn't really focused on solving Wally's story anymore. And I kind of personally expected Wally to have a bigger role in Doomsday Clock. Um, I'm not sure if Heroes in Crisis affected that at all, but I really um, was hoping that we were going to get more of a follow-up on his involvement in the DC Rebirth special. Uh, we did see a little glimpse of their interactions in the newest issue of Doomsday Clock, but nothing really outside of that. I'm wondering how the last two issues of Doomsday Clock are going to shake up when it comes to Wally West, if he shows up at all, which I'm not even at this point assuming is going to happen but i really want to know where wally goes next last we saw him he was in prison but he is of the mind that he is going to get better um hope is as he puts it the idea that you can take all of this pain all of this anguish and keep running so the final image of the book also shows off a new symbol for him uh a, a more classic uh lightning bolt symbol for the flash i don't know if that's you know maybe an artistic choice or if that's a sign of things to come but wally has been rocking the uh the jlu the uh single uh lightning bolt that he got from the dc animated universe and seeing that last image kind of gave me hope that there is a direction in mind for him uh, a lot of people there's a big uh push I've seen on Twitter and Instagram for him to join the Suicide Squad and to pay his debt through that. And I love that idea. I think Suicide Squad would be a great push for him. I think it would be an interesting uh, direction for him to go, especially uh, since he really kind of, again, seemed to meander during the Rebirth books. We didn't really get a whole lot of direction for him, and I think this is something new. This is something exciting. It's not what everyone wants, and I understand that. I would be totally fine with just a 12-issue uh, maxi series of Wally West searching for his kids, uh, going through the Speed Force... Um, traveling the multiverse i'd be down for that but i think for what we have here and for what um we are working with in a post heroes in crisis world him joining the suicide squad would be really interesting i think especially because the last time that they did have a speedster on the suicide squad was during the new 52 when it was uh daniel west which was uh wallace west's dad not this wally but uh the other wally wallace west um and having a reverse flash on that team really gave it some depth and gave them uh i think more to play with in that book and i think a repentant wally who is having to deal with uh being on a team full of uh killers and murderers while seeing himself as a criminal and a murderer himself would be a great redemptive arc for him and would give him a lot of room to breathe and allow him to interact with characters that he may never interact with otherwise. So I would be really interested in that. I think Suicide Squad is a great direction for him to go, even if it's not the best direction for him to go, even if it's not my preferred direction for him to go. Uh, Suicide Squad, Wally West, uh, is a thumbs up for me. Um, I talked about it earlier as well, just as a side note. Um, Leviathan Rising is going on with uh, the Superman books, and that's kind of the crossover that's going on right now in DC that just started up. Uh, with Brian Michael Bendis. Um, I've made my thoughts on Brian Michael Bendis's uh, Superman run very, very clear. Uh, I don't like it. I haven't liked it. It drove me away from the Superman books, which is unfortunate. 
But um, a lot of people have been positing this uh, idea that the head of Leviathan in this story might just be a revived and vengeful Roy Harper. There have been different clues uh, speaking out to this, one of which is directly on his, uh, on his costume. We see a red arrow as part of uh, his costume, which I think is very telling. Uh, we've seen different... Um, clues hinting at a former life as a hero or sidekick we've seen different things from uh, his interactions and his viewpoints on other heroes and we also have to talk about the idea that this is putting green arrow front and center in this story and last we saw of oliver he had given up the green arrow persona um, following the death of roy harper and being hunted by the u.s government because he was holding the key to destroying the justice league which end up being an empty box so i think that if they're gonna bring green arrow back for something like this it's got to be something important and what would, could be more important to him than being face to face with a vengeful uh former sidekick who now holds him and the other uh heroes and intelligence organizations in the dc universe responsible so I don't know. I would say, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely I think that is. That's probably, like, a 6. I think the uh, the clues really speak to that possibility, but I don't. I can't say for sure that that's how it's going to go. Uh, I think it'd be really cool, and having um, Roy Harper at the end of this almost be either getting away or detained and put on a Suicide Squad roster with Wally West would be really interesting. Um, having the two of them kind of dealing with this i think uh would be a good way to uh kind of freshen up their characters though i i believe that during the uh batman superman book coming out this year with uh joshua williams and david marquez that we're going to see certain characters who have either been killed off or corrupted somehow be replaced by uh newer slash older versions of themselves so i fully expect roy harper to be back i think i in that respect as well, um, a lot of people have kind of thought of, oh, well, this Wally is clearly going to be a dark Wally that will be replaced by the good Wally after this. And I think that would be a mistake. I think um, you can absolutely tell that story. Wally, after finding out about uh, the Batman Who Laughs uh, plans would absolutely believe that he's the corrupted Wally and that the real Wally is coming back soon and then finding out that he is actually the real Wally and all the stuff that has happened has really happened to him I think would be a great character moment and I kind of hope that that's the direction they go in with him but either way I think Wally the sky's the limit for him uh, everybody loves an underdog story everybody loves a redemption story and there is no uh bigger redemption story and no bigger underdog right now in dc comics than wally west so we're just gonna have to see where he runs from here um final thoughts on this book i think it's not for everybody it, it has a lot of problems um some of which i think uh come from expectations some of which come from the marketing and some of which come from the storytelling in itself tom king has already said on one or two occasions that he is not happy with how certain parts of the story were told but overall, I think it's a story that you should read, especially if you have had um, uh, mental health affect you in some way, whether it's you, a friend, or a loved one. Um, I think the story speaks to that, which I think 
uh, for Tom King being someone who really touches on trauma and PTSD and mental health in his stories and comics, I think is important. And um, for me, again, as someone who has dealt with those kind of issues, I had problems with the story. I've talked about these problems now. But at the end of it, the thing that really sticks out to me is that this is a story that was crafted about someone who is alone. Someone who feels alone and someone who uh, doesn't feel like anyone in the world understands them. And the overarching theme for this, whether it's uh, in the confessionals, whether it's the team-ups between uh, these isolated characters, Booster and Harley, finding their friendships again. Whether it's, you know, the idea that Sanctuary is now open and more people are coming to it because they uh, see that other people are suffering and also finally are able to get the help that they need. Uh, the idea is that you are not alone. And that even if you feel that way, even if you feel that no one in the world can understand you, that your problems are your own, and that uh, you are a singular island in an ocean of this world, uh, the story that Tom King, Clayman, Mitch Jarrods, Lee Weeks, everyone who contributed to the story is trying to tell you is that you are not alone. And for better or for worse, whether you like the story or not, I think that is the true message of Heroes in Crisis. So that's it. That is uh, my viewpoint on Heroes in Crisis. That's our full breakdown of it. Let me know what you thought. I would love to talk to you guys about what you thought of Heroes in Crisis, whether you loved it, whether you hated it, um, what moments stood out to you, what characters' confessionals really shocked you. Uh, I know for one, me, the Lagoon Boy is tragic and it's sad. Um, I really would love to have these kind of conversations for you. If you have dealt with mental health stuff in the past, how did this come across to you? How was this portrayed to you? What do you think of Tom King's writing? What do you think of his, I guess, what do you think his legacy is going to be when it comes to DC Comics? Uh, a little bit ago, it got really far on a tangent on Tom King's Batman run, and I'm sure there is an episode on that in the future when it all wraps up. But I would love to know what you think of his writing, his stories, and how you think this is going to affect the DC Universe going forward. I'd also like to know what you think of the potential stories that could come out of this. Uh, whether it's involving Harley and Ivy, B Blue and Gold, Booster and uh, Blue Beetle, or where you think Wally's going next. I'm you know, crossing my fingers for Suicide Squad, just for that redemption uh, story arc for him. But we'll see. So either... Either of those options, whatever you think, uh, feel free to let me know on social media, on uh, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Pod. That's at P-O-D. You can also send me emails, because I'm an old man. I still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Uh, that is going to do it for this uh, main course. Stick around for uh, the weekly review, as well as this week's comics countdown. But overall, um, Heroes in Crisis... It was something that is very divisive, very polarizing, but overall I think this is a story that um, is going to be a talking point for a very, very long time.
And that spooky new intro can only mean one thing. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our podcast where I review something weekly. And last week was the final episode of the Doom Patrol, with which left us with a question. What would be the next focus of this segment? I put a poll up on our Twitter at Pod. Give us a follow. Check us out. And uh, I had four choices. I had the new Swamp Thing show, which is also on the DC Universe app. I had uh, the final season of Star Wars Rebels, which I have never seen. I had season two of Legion, which I also haven't seen. And finally, I had Jessica Jones, the final season, which is coming up next week. Um, And we put the poll in. Thank you to everyone who voted. It was great getting to see people uh, really kind of get involved in... uh, in what they wanted to see us review and it ended up being a tie between Swamp Thing and Jessica Jones. I love the idea of both of these shows and because it was a tie I decided we're gonna do both. So the weekly review is going to be is going to be focused on the Swamp Thing uh, TV show, but the Jessica Jones uh, final season will be getting its very own episode all on its own as soon as that uh, that season drops on Netflix. So that is something to look forward to that's going to be coming up in a week or two. But for now, let's check out the new Swamp Thing show. This is, of course, the live-action Swamp Thing show on the DC Universe streaming service and app. And I'm not going to lie, I didn't know what to expect with this show. It was something that I will admit I've never been a huge Swamp Thing fan. Uh, I respect the character. I think he's really cool. The Alan Moore Swamp Thing as well as the Scott Snyder Swamp Thing are some of my favorite stories with that character. But I didn't really know how they were going to... uh, how this show was going to end up, especially with the fact that the show did end production way earlier than it was supposed to, uh, shortening the episode count from, I believe, 13 to 10. So they had to come up with a completely new ending for the season, and I'm interested to see how that affects the rest of the season leading up to it. But I will say I was pleasantly surprised and very impressed by this first episode. This episode is entitled Pilot. Uh, Can't get any more uh, basic than that. But I was really overall impressed with this show, uh, at least in this episode. The just overall quality, I was really impressed with the production value, is off the charts. I was really, really just impressed with how they made, uh, I think it's Marais, uh in Louisiana just feel alive, no pun intended with uh, all the swamp around it, but the town felt like it had an energy about it. The people in it, the set pieces, it really, really sold the whole vibe that they were going for. But I will say the thing that got me the most right out the gate was that this show comes with an actual parental advisory. Um, maybe it's me, maybe I haven't been paying attention, but I don't remember seeing 
uh, in front of of uh, Titans or in front of um, Doom Patrol an actual parental advisory warning. Uh, this is the uh, warning threw up like about horror, adult themes, adult content. So I am really interested. Uh, you definitely got to see a lot of stuff go down with this episode but i'm interested to see how far they push it so i've got my notes here um and right off the bat i have to talk about our two leads abby arcane and alec holland um they were absolutely fantastic crystal reed who i had limited uh exposure to we spoke about this last episode for our full-on swamp thing episode um i limited exposure to her really all that i had seen her on was gotham but i will say even from there where i liked her as uh, sophia falcone i really liked her as abby arcane in this show you can tell she's putting in the work you can tell that as an actress she takes the role very seriously and it shows because immediately you get invested in abby as a character you want her to succeed and you want her to uh, thrive in this story however i think the absolute scene stealer in the entire episode is alec holland our lead played by andy bean i will say no idea who andy bean was i'd never seen any of his work before i was not familiar with him whatsoever but he is fantastic i cannot express to you how impressed i was with andy bean just his mannerisms the way that he uh just kind of wistfully went in and out of scenes i really enjoyed him you could tell that he was a man on a mission that had a lot of problems and they referenced it they referenced uh some of his old lab work that was i guess forged by him to uh kind of show off the result that he was looking for but there is a darkness and a sadness about him but also he is has a magnetic charismatic personality and i really appreciate that i really like that they brought a whole new dimension to alec holland uh who i don't think a lot of people really have an opinion on on just alec holland the man because in all of the i won't say all but in most of the uh, stories that involve you know the origins of Swamp Thing, how he became the creature who he is. We don't get a lot of time with Alec Holland the man, and so I think this kind of left the door open for Andy Bean to really play and really establish a definitive kind of Alec Holland to lead into this show. And I thought he shined. Uh, he's also apparently I was looking up on his IMDb because I saw him and I was like, I want to watch more stuff that he's in because he was just so captivating. Um, and he is apparently going to be in It Chapter 2 uh, playing the older Stanley. So that was I believe the Jewish kid. Um, and that's exciting. I'm glad that he is uh, he's doing well in his career. Um, I looked and he doesn't have a lot on his IMDb, but what he does have are solid roles. So I am excited for him. I'm excited to see more of him. I'm sad because I don't think we're going to get any more of him. Because um, I'm not sure what route they're going to go with Swamp Thing in this season. Whether he is going to be able to talk or whether it's just going to be a completely silent character. I really hope that it's the former because I think Andy Bean has a really great uh, 
take on this character and i'm hoping to get more of him as we go so those were our two leads they were just great and abby really sold the emotion i loved the uh the scene between her and um mrs sunderland uh we'll get into them in a bit but like she she's fantastic and i cannot wait to see more of her in this show um another big point was uh the body horror uh with this um disease that's kind of going around uh Marais. it's showing off a lot of like body horror the way they found uh mr coyle in his cabin was just ugh, just disgusting in the best way and then when he woke up and was like you know trying to kill them in the uh, autopsy room it was just fantastic and really like this is going to be a show that I can tell you do not watch while you're eating because I watched this episode while I was eating and I immediately regretted it. Uh, specifically this scene uh, where the uh, reanimated corpse of Mr. Coyle taken over by whatever the accelerant has done to his body like is just lashing out trying to kill them. Um, fantastic scene, but do not watch this. Uh, while you're eating you will regret it just like i did and i also liked how they uh kind of shook up the original uh backstory for how alec becomes swamp thing uh in the comics as we talked about last week he got his uh he got basically was turned into swamp thing by a kind of this uh cure for uh, anti-vegetation that he was actually developing it was an actual chemical that he was creating whereas here it was an outside chemical that was being used as an accelerant to make the swamp grow and he just happened to fall into it after being shot so i liked that i like that the disease also puts kind of a uh, a ticking clock on the show so that's going to help the sense of urgency as we go along because we are going to have this b plot line where they're trying to figure out how to solve this uh this problem and cure this disease before it spreads and you know just wipes out the entire town i also really enjoyed that this uh that the show really stuck and you know stuck to its guns when it comes to its horror roots and i didn't even mean that that was uh that's funny. Um, no pun intended on that one, but uh, it really took its time. Uh, the opening is classic horror. Uh, also, like, really thriller stuff. Like, it for some reason, it reminded me of Jaws, uh, especially at the moment where one of the, I guess, the henchmen is, like, swimming to his buddies in his boat. He just gets yanked down out of sight. Really, really cool. Um, all of the moments where the vines are growing... Uh, it was really good. And then, you know, going through Mr. Coyle's house was also, you know, an empty house. You know, really tense, really good. I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to seeing how how hard they lean into more horror or uh, classic horror aspects. I also really liked uh, some of the more minor characters. Uh, they really... I, I thought they really shone in here. Uh, they really shine bright in this episode. And I'm excited to see more of them. Uh, Abby's uh, reporter friend was really cool. I really enjoyed uh, the, the sheriff that is working with them, who 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she um, she called him Matt, which leads me to think that he might be Matt Cable, who we talked about last week was like her love interest, and he was part of the CIA, and was kind of hunting Swamp Thing in the original stories in the comics. So I'm wondering. I mean, of course he's you know he's got the leading man looks, but like I'm interested to see how they change that up if that if that does end up being matt cable uh, i also really liked the slight nod to madame xanadu they had just a moment of her uh been kind of talking about her so we're definitely going to see more of her later on uh but the big the big standouts here for this episode were the sunderlands uh avery sunderland and his wife were really really good i um I don't know the name of the actor who plays Avery Sunderland, but I've seen him in so many things by now. And I really like the uh, the Cajun drawl that he has, that a lot of people have in this episode. Really enjoyed it. He definitely has some secrets, and he is... Uh, it would not surprise me at all if he ends up becoming uh, the villain for the season. He gave me... Like, I don't know why, and I'm just going to throw this out there, but uh, we do know that, of course, Abby uh, Abby Arcane is the niece in the comics of Swamp Thing's nemesis, Ant- Anton Arcane. So I got mad vibes from uh, Avery that he might end up becoming Anton Arcane, you know, or at least some kind of version of him for this series. We'll see. Um... I do know that uh, Jason Woodrue is also going to be showing up pretty soon here, and he might be, like, you know, the prime antagonist, but we'll have to see. Either way, I really enjoyed the Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Sunderland. You could tell. Really, really just absolutely killed it in her scene when she's confronting Abby uh, about the death of Shauna. And I loved, by the way, uh, a couple scenes later when they're sitting in uh, Alex's lab, and they're talking about Shauna, and he's asking her what's, you know, what happened, what happened with her. And the show poked fun, I think, poked fun at this really common uh, story and story trope where right as they're about to, you know, fill in this backstory, she's like, two days before graduation, you know, something happens and they have to be pulled away, but they could easily just continue on with what they're saying. But they choose not to, to, you know, elongate the suspense. But that happens. She starts to talk. You know, they get the printout from their results, from their test. And Alec just goes, no, 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 no. What were you saying? No, I want to know what you were talking about. And I liked that as a viewer because I felt the same way. And again, Andy Bean really sold that moment. And we are, it did leave it kind of vague. We heard her say she killed Shauna, who was uh, the Sunderland's daughter. But we will definitely just have to see exactly what context that's in. And finally, at the very end of the episode, we did get the birth of Swamp Thing. After Alec is killed by an unknown assailant, he is sent deep into the water uh, below where the accelerant is working its magic on the surrounding swamp and it starts to bind itself to him and his body just becomes fused with it and at the end he's crawling out of the water as abby is uh, also being surrounded by the accelerant but it recedes to 
I guess, give birth to Swamp Thing. But as he approaches her, in kind of, I think, is a great callback to the original Swamp Thing story with uh, Alex Mercer, that, I don't know if it's Alex Mercer. It's probably not Alex Mercer. But the original Swamp Thing, where the story ended with that Swamp Thing, you know, approaching his wife, but not being able to say anything because he's just been turned and she runs away from him in fear leaving him alone in the swamp uh, i thought that was a great shout a great little callback even if it was unintentional abby goes running off into the night alec is unable to communicate with her and he just passes out so overall i really liked this episode i love once again the production value the characters are very strong the town of Marais feels alive and I really like when just set pieces like that feel that way when the surrounding area feels like it has its own story and there are lots of stories to tell in the swamp and you can absolutely be sure that they are going to be telling some of those stories as this season progresses and then finally I love the chemistry between Abby and Alec they were just firing on all cylinders every scene that they were in together. And I really, really, really hope that this isn't the last we see of Andy Bean for this season. And that is going to do it. Let me know what you thought of Swamp Thing. I really enjoyed it. Let me know what you thought. Uh, have you caught up on Doom Patrol yet? Have you watched Titans? How do you feel about these DC Universe live-action series so far? I would say they're one-for-one for, one for me right now. And I... I can hazard to say that as, at least after this first episode they might be two for one on the uh, good to bad ratio here so let me know your thoughts feel free once again to let me know on social media on twitter on instagram at geeksplainpod that's at geeksplainpod or through email at geeksplained at gmail.com but for now let's kick it on over to this week's comics countdown <laughs> Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up, whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely be checking out. We'll be talking about each book's title, the creative team behind each book, as well as a brief synopsis of each as well. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you would like to request, feel free to on on Instagram, Twitter, or through email. We have one, two, three, four, five, six books for you this week. Um, it's not, I will say, last week kicked ass. It was really, really good. Had a great, great time. Some great books came out. Um, but this week's no slouch either. This week has got some quality books that I definitely think you should be picking up. And we are starting that off with Deceased, number two of six, written by Tom Taylor with art by uh, Trevor Hairseen with covers by Lanil you uh, this book is really interesting i mean uh if you picked up the first issue you know that this is basically dc's version of marvel zombies and that's the whole crux of the book it's you know dc superheroes against a zombie uh zombie plague so let's jump into the synopsis here millions are dying every minute heroes and villains alike are falling can the Justice League unite to find a way to stop the spread of death? Can they save humanity from extinction? Can they even save themselves? The key to survival may hinge on the last moments of one of the world's finest heroes. 
so yeah um last issue uh spoilers i guess uh, um ended with batman being confronted in wayne manor by all of his sidekicks who had been turned into zombies so we'll see uh, uh it seems like even though they are suffering from some zombification they do retain some uh mental faculties so having a zombie bruce wayne will be uh pretty pretty intense and he would be able to in theory uh set up traps for our non-zombified heroes to try and get them to be their new food so we'll see i'm interested um it's a short uh little mini series just six issues so i'm definitely checking it out Next up, we have Old Man Quill, number 6 of 12, written by Ethan Sachs, with art by Ibrahim, Ibrahim Roberson. I am so sorry. I that I know that one was bad, and I apologize. Um, this book has been really good. Uh, we're halfway through the run, and I have been loving it so far. Old Man Quill in, uh, in the basically Western space opera these space knights being brought all the way down into the old west has been really really good and i've been really enjoying it so let's jump into the synopsis here hail the hero of horse creek word is spreading through the wastelands about peter quill's heroic actions in horse creek but as his reputation rises will he inspire the downtrodden of the wastelands or seal their doom speaking of dr doom is none too happy with these developments it all leads up to a big ending that will rock the future of the wastelands and the next chapter of the saga that will change what you thought you knew about old man quill so yeah, um, I'm really interested. We uh, we saw in the Dead Man Logan book that uh, the first half was one story and the second half is going to be a different story. So I'm wondering if they're going to use the same uh, story structure here. The synopsis would lead you to think so, that this is going to be kind of the wrap-up of them uh, fighting through the wastelands and the back half of the uh, Maxi series is going to be something else. But I'm interested. It's been really, really good so far. Next up, we have Young Justice number six, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by John Timms. Uh, this book has been really good as well. Uh, these um, it helps that it has my big three: Connor Kent, Bart Allen, and Tim Drake. But the book has been really, really good so far. Uh, they took at least in my mind, they took the criticisms that the story wasn't quite moving as quickly as it should be, and picked up so the book has been really really good and i've been really enjoying it let's jump into the synopsis here the secrets of Gemworld begin to unlock themselves for the newly reformed members of Young Justice. Tim Drake, Connor Kent, Jenny Hex, Wonder Girl, Impulse, and the new Team Lantern. But is it too late for the teen heroes to help Amethyst bring some order to her chaotic realm? Fan favorite artist Elena Casagrande also joins the team as she delivers a look at Jenny Hex's origins and how she came to be in Metropolis on the day the new Young Justice formed. So the last couple issues have actually been really good about um, kind of placing everybody as well. Uh, last issue, they tackled uh, Tim Drake, starting to remember Bart Allen and Connor Kent, which I really loved. Um, cover art was also by Christopher Anka, so can't argue with that. 
Uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm really interested in seeing uh, the origins of these new characters because we know uh, Connor, Cassie, Bard, and Tim, but we don't really know anything about Ginny Hex or Teen Lantern. So I'm assuming that this is going to be a Teen or a Ginny Hex uh, origin. Next issue might be a Teen Lantern origin. And then we already kind of got Amethyst's origin as well. So I'm interested to see where they go with these characters and just what the fate of Gemworld is going to be. Next up, we have Dead Man Logan, number 8 of 12, written by Ed Brisson, with art by Mike Henderson, and of course, covers by Declan Shalvey. Uh, this book has been fantastic. As a last hurrah for uh, Old Man Logan, this has been great. He just got back to the Wastelands, so I'm interested to see if he shows up and he crosses over with Old Man Quill. I think that'd be really cool. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think it'd be really cool since they both technically are in the Wastelands at the same time. Uh, we'll see exactly what happens with that, but let's jump into the synopsis here. The last real Hulk alive. When Logan slaughtered the Hulk gang, he spared its youngest member. But every burnout, sporto, and motorhead in the wastelands wants the kid dead or under their control. So what's been great about this book is that it's been tying up all of the uh, loose plot threads in the Old Man Logan story. And I'm glad they're finally addressing the whole deal with uh, little, little baby Brucey, Bruce Jr., or whatever his name was little baby hulk uh he has definitely grown time has definitely passed but i am excited to see what they do with uh this duo now that everybody is hunting for this little baby hulk next up we have batman number 72 written by tom king with art by Mikkel janine uh what can i say uh we've talked a lot about tom king in this episode and i think that it still sucks that he is ending his run at 85 and then he is kind of going off on the bat cat book but um as for now we're, we're gonna enjoy the ride right now we're in the mid of middle of fall and the fallen and then i believe in issue 75 we kick off city of bane so this is really good this everything is coming to a head for tom king and i am excited to see what they do here so let's jump into the synopsis the Fall and the Fallen, Part 3. Is this the end of Gotham City? Bane's army of villains is taking over the city, and Batman's back is against the wall. With all the things Bane has done to him over the last year, from breaking up his wedding to try to assassinate Nightwing, and then invading Batman's mind to expose his most terrible fears, could this be the worst hate the Cape Crusader has ever encountered? So yeah, this is building up to like a big final confrontation with Bane. Uh, I'm assuming the way that you know most comic stories go, we're gonna have a big confrontation between the two in Batman number 75, which he's gonna lose and then rally back for City of Bane and then uh, show back up for the last couple issues of King's Run. So we'll see. I've been really enjoying it. Uh, say what you will about Tom King. I think he really puts his all into his stories whether people like them or not and i'm excited to see where this book goes and finally the big book of the week is war of the realms number five of six uh we're almost almost to the end it's been kind of going at a breakneck speed and i can't believe we're almost already to the end of this i feel like there's so much still that has to be done uh maybe that's because i haven't really been picking up the other uh tie-ins so much but 
the ones that have picked up have been very good and i'm excited to see where the story goes and kind of what the status quo of the marvel universe is coming out of this so let's jump into the synopsis oh it is written by jason aaron with art by russell donnerman of course and let's jump into the synopsis here Midgard's last stand malekith's army gets a whole new crop of recruits the dead as Midgard transforms under the rule of Malekith and his allies, the dead rise up to form a new Niflheim. The Black Panther calls in every hero on his roster to fight for Earth, from Spider-Man and the Spiders of Hell to Ghost Rider and Boulder the Brave. But if there's any hope for the Ten Realms, it'll come from the skies. And that's really interesting. I don't know what to make of that, but uh, the book's been really good so far. The art's been stellar. Storytelling's been great. Um, the uh, the Strike Force Land of the Giants issue got me right in the feels, uh, and every issue has been really good. Sending off certain characters, bringing back others. Uh, the finale for Odin and Freya was really really good, and I am really interested to see how they top last issue going into the home stretch here and that is going to do it for this week's comics countdown to recap we have deceased number two of six old man quill number six of 12 young justice number six dead man logan number eight of 12 batman number 72 and war of the realms number five of six and that is going to do it for this week's episode thank you very much for listening so far uh let me know what you thought of heroes in crisis uh whether you picked up every issue whether you just stayed away from the book uh what thoughts you have some of your favorite moments some of your least favorite moments uh are you interested in uh where these characters go do you have an idea where wally west is gonna go um i am really hoping for and it, th this might be an unpopular opinion but i'm really hoping for the uh wally west suicide squad rumor to be true i think having a speedster on the suicide squad has really done well in the past the couple times that they've had it and i'm really interested to see a redemption arc for wally and uh this is probably the most interesting uh, time for Wally West in the last, you know, five, six years. So let me know what you thought of Heroes in Crisis. Next week, we'll, we, we will, of course, uh, be continuing our coverage of everything that's going on. But uh, that will be next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. Uh, once again, go ahead and check out my, uh, my guest appearance on Saturday Night Geek on Twitch. Had a great time. Would love to work with them again. And uh, that is going to be it for Geeksplain. This is Eric Zana. Thank you very much for listening. And we will see you next time.